Hey, Doug. Hello, hello. Is is there any camera on this or not? No, there's no camera. All right. It helps Very us, good. Our, us older guys, and we always look better in podcasts than... <laughs> Welcome to Season 2 of A Long Walk North. Today's episode is brought to you by Triple Crown Coffee, Purple Rain Adventure Skirts, and the Thruer Hiking Community. Welcome to our podcast, A Long Walk North. My name is Dan. I'm the host. I'm the dad of this crew. Uh, Me and Chantel are hiking the Pacific Crest Trail in 2024. And this is sort of a special encore presentation uh, with Doug Lair and about the story of Trevor and Doug's message uh, after Trevor's accident. And so I wanted to release this again because I'm sure there's going to be some people in the class of 2023 and hopefully it gives them an opportunity to listen to this podcast. I think there's some great takeaways. Also in the show notes too, wherever you're listening to this, whether it's on Apple or Spotify or Audible, there should be a link. You can check out the show notes. And so basically, uh, I talked to Doug, uh, got a little bit of a recap of his past summer. Uh, I saw some videos on Trevor's 100-day trek. And so he talks about him and his family uh, heading out uh, to California, and he ended up uh, standing on the PCT. Uh, And that was a very surreal moment, so uh, I asked Doug about that. So he just gives a little update about that, how things are going. Some of his updates, too, on the Trevor Microspikes program, Trevor Spikes, as well as some other things that he's involved in. I'm going to put that more and edit that into the end. So basically, you're going to hear a little bit of an introduction of Doug currently, and then there'll be another segue, and then it will be a repeat of the podcast. And I'll go through that podcast and maybe trim it a little bit, but it's it's a great podcast to listen to. And obviously, you know, this is a longer podcast, so if you are hiking the PCT in 2023, I'm sure you're going out for some walks. So why don't you just take take us with you, break it in half, break it into three. Um, I think walking and listening to a podcast is just good for your mind. So without further ado... Here's the encore presentation. Enjoy. Charging down those craggy mountains with our thrift store friends. Who you find so, so in love with the fallen earth? Oh, you wake in the middle of the fallen night with the summer playing coy. Well, you ready to get this going? Yeah, sounds good. All right. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. 
Uh, this is a special edition of Trevor's 100-Day Trek. Going backwards, it was either last, what was August, July, you and I believe it's your parents. Uh, yes. You guys went out to California. So obviously, you know, you had a post. You know, you got to meet San Jacks John. I, I, it sounds like you, I think you went to his house. That's my guess. Actually, he, he came to our Airbnb. He came to visit you. You went to go see the the uh, the Riverside Riverside Mountain Rescue Unit. So you got to go visit them, which is pretty surreal. It's just I can't imagine. I just can't imagine the the emotions and that stuff. But just talk about that trip because obviously you know you went out there with uh, with your folks and just talk about that trip. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, last July I was in Palm Springs uh, for some for some business related uh, activities. I was out there for a week oh, and wow. knew th- and literally you can. I mean, you look up and San Jacinto is just staring you right in the face. It's absolutely enormous, but it's, it's an enormous mountain, even, um, even in the, um, in the summertime end of summer, it was, um, you know, it was hot. And on the day that, that my parents and I, my parents live in Phoenix and which is only a four hour drive, I think to, to Palm Springs and then another 45 minutes up the mountain, to Idlewild and we had planned on going up there for I think three days just to connect with the the hiking community up there connect with Idlewild I had hoped to see Mayor Max and I think it was the day before we got there that that he had passed away last year yeah I just but, talked to Mayor Max about two hours ago wonderful wonderful well I I'm sure that uh, he had a lot to say <laughs> Yeah. So what was interesting is, is we were driving up, um, up towards Idlewild. Of course, when Trevor did his hike, um, he used far out or gut hooks back then. And and I downloaded it as well. So I had it on my, had it on my phone. And as we were getting closer and closer and closer, uh, my, my father was driving and I, I said, I'm just curious as to see how close we are to the PCT. So I pulled out, uh, far out and, you know, connected the GPS and everything. And and all of a sudden we started seeing this blue dot moving down the road and literally less than a mile away was paradise Valley cafe. And, and my heart just literally dropped to my stomach. And I said, dad, 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 slow down, slow down. And um, I said, there's going to be a trailhead up here coming up in about a quarter mile. I need you to slow down and and we want to pull in. And of course, um, that trailhead is where it's about a mile, maybe a little less than a mile away from Paradise Valley Cafe, where most hikers get off the PCT and go in for one of the world famous cheeseburgers or breakfast burritos. and. On Trevor's trek in 2020, of course, he was there in the morning and they got breakfast burritos. I've made it to the PCT. This is uh, where Trevor would have got off right around mile 153 northbound uh, the morning before his accident, heading into Paradise Valley Cafe. Um want to show you something if I can maybe not our 
family put up, helped pay to have that, that sign put up. Mile marker 169, that's where it was. We had that sign put up to make sure no other hiker would have to suffer through what Trevor did. Yeah, this is uh, awe-inspiring and surreal for me. I didn't know that I'd make it up here or not. But to be on this trail, to, f to feel the dirt underneath my feet, to imagine Trevor walking down that, that trail right there, out to the road. God, I miss you, buddy. And we pulled off onto the trailhead. Um, and I told my parents, I said, can you just give me about 10 minutes? I just, I, I need to be by myself. Yeah. And so I stepped out of the car and started hiking down the trail or up the trail, I guess, as it turns out, um, less than maybe 45 seconds in, there is the um, wood sign that our family in conjunction with the Fowler O'Sullivan uh, Foundation put in back in 2021, alerting hikers that if in snow conditions, microspikes or crampons are absolutely required um, north of Spitler Peak Trail. I'm standing here on uh, Spitler Peak Trail and right above me over my shoulder that you can see is Apache Peak. And that's about a four mile hike up to the top and then about another mile and a half uh, northbound to um, to the accident site at mile marker 169.5. It is about 2,500 feet of elevation gain over those four miles up to the uh, ridge of the uh, mountains there that you see. And uh, I promised Karen before I left that I would not hike there. She was worried about me, as you can see. Uh, very dry, no shade cover. And uh, we were anticipating 90 plus degree temperatures out here. This is about as close as I'm going to get to him. And, uh, yeah. But I will not be deterred. I will not be stopped. My promise to Karen is that I would not hike it this year because of the oppressive heat and lack of water sources. But uh, I will get it done. And Karen and I and Olivia are planning on coming out here into this beautiful countryside next year to hike to the accident site and uh, try to connect spiritually with Trevor. So I have uber motivation to disobey my wife and climb up to the top of that mountain. But I'm listening to my own advice and I am making the, the better judgment not to do it. Uh, for safety reasons. So if I can do it, you can do it too. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please, please, please 
embrace the alternate, be safe, and make smart decisions. Until next time, bye-bye. And I walked up to that sign and I just, I just broke down and, you know, you just rub your hand over it and across it and think that knowing that, that our family had something to do with this sign to keep hikers safe was overwhelming. And then um, before I realized it, I realized that this you know, I was standing on the PCT yeah, and that I was standing in a location that Trevor's footsteps had actually crossed and I completely broke down. I, it was, it, I'm an emotional guy by, by, um, by habit, by trade, by, it's just naturally who I am. And the tears started flowing. I just dropped to my knees on the trail. It was, it was surreal it was real and that, that I was there and that I'm, I wasn't just talking about it, dreaming about it, watching about it on YouTube. I was actually standing on the PCT and it was, it was an overwhelming feeling. And, um, and then we drove up to, after that was over, my parents of course got out of the car. They came and, and had a very surreal experience just like I did. Uh, hopped back in the car, drove up to Idlewild and spent two incredible days up there. Um, I, I stopped by Nomad Ventures, yeah, bought I a ball cap from them. So even though the temperatures would have been ideal to hike up there, I did not. Uh, my family and I, my parents, we we went up into Idlewild. The, it had just rained for two days in the fresh scent of pine was incessant it was everywhere you just we got out of the car and i just took a deep breath in and it was it was absolutely amazing um it it felt like you know you you when i was a kid we would go get our own uh pine tree for as a christmas tree and you would cut it and that that fresh pine literally almost like pine saw that that you use to help mop your floors or whatever or wipe your i mean it was almost as if you popped the top off of that and you just took a smell that's how strong the pine was and um we had lunch with eric holden and three other members of the Riverside Mountain Rescue Unit. That was insanely a good time. It was incredible. And then they took my parents and I to their headquarters, which is in Hemet, which is back down the mountain. And they showed us all of their gear, their trucks, their climbing gear. They showed us. enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. They showed us the rescue litter that they bought with many of the donations that that were made in Trevor's honor and they've actually got a little nameplate on it. Um, it was incredible. And then the next day um, I had an opportunity to, um, to chat with uh, Sinjak John or John King yep. as the locals know him. And he came over to the Airbnb that we stayed at. And I probably nice. chatted with him for three hours, which was absolutely incredible. And then late, later that day we drove back down the mountain and had lunch at Paradise Valley Cafe. Um, yeah, it was just an awe-inspiring moment for my family and I. Yes. And like you said, you made that promise to Karen and you'll be able to hike another day and you'll get yes. out there. And Idlewild would be a great place to like, for just you and your family, like Karen, Olivia, it would be a nice place to go and stay for, you know, three nights and stuff. Yep. 
the beautiful absolutely and karen and i we've kind of joked i don't know how serious we we are when we talk about this but we we say how cool it would be to retire in idlewild and be like full-time trail angels um i just oh my gosh um I get goosebumps just just thinking about what that would look like and feel like. But yes, it was a very emotional trip, um, and one that I am just so glad that that I was able to to take and find time to make uh, to meet with the Riverside Mountain Rescue Unit and, and John King and others in uh, in Idlewild. It was just I am so glad I made the trip. I yes. could not have been happier with it. So there's another incident that happened uh, last year is there was, uh, I say he's a young gentleman, who knows, who knows how old he is, but I keep thinking, is he, is he from Europe? Uh, he's actually from the UK. Yeah. Yes. Russell Hepton. Uh, my trail name is Rock Solid. I traversed the San Jacinto Mountains uh, in mid-March and there was plenty of snow. Uh, I got to Idlewild and then just before I decided to come home due to COVID-19 I ended up traversing Fuller Ridge uh, which is quite infamous and there's a lot of obstacles in your way along the trail especially in that time of year and at that altitude you are going to hit some snow. Very unfortunately while I was traversing the San Jacinto another hiker uh, had a fatal fall. Uh, There were a number of hikers that that were having to get airlifted out uh, a lot of emergency calls were made, even though COVID-19 was happening, and there were hardly any. There was probably about 20% of the hikers on the trail, and still there were a lot of issues due to the snow and ice. This is my third time lucky. I got out here in 2020, and obviously COVID hit, so I had to go home. 2019, um, my dad got sick and had a stroke, so I had to go home. I don't know if he still does a podcast, but I remember his YouTube channel because I've watched some of his videos, but he's just a really good guy. And I really love listening to him interview you and stuff. And you could just feel this connection to Trevor. And I thought it was amazing that he popped by and he hung out with you guys. And I think he went for a hike and that. I think Olivia was there and Karen and the dogs. And just talk about meeting him and stuff. So that relationship actually started in 2020 after Trevor's accident. Now, Russell, they, Tr- Russell and Trevor were leapfrogging. I think Russell was, he, he was probably a little bit faster than, than Trevor, but they were leapfrogging back and forth. And um, he certainly conversed with Trevor, but did not spend a lot of time, a lot of time with Trevor. And he certainly wasn't part of his trail family. Right. Um, but after Trevor's accident. Uh, Russell, I think, was a little bit less than a day ahead of him and um, was in Idlewild, of course, when the news broke about what happened. And and he hiked back down the mountain to the I-10 Oasis down near Cabazon. Yeah. And it was at that point in time that Russell decided that he was going to call, call his hike. Um, at the time, he was a big YouTube vlogger and is, and is getting back into that, of course. Um, and was getting pressure from people all over the world that the, that he had no business being out on trail. Sure. So once he got to the I-10 uh, in Cabazon, he decided to head back home. But he had already produced, oh, maybe half dozen videos or so um, of, of which I had watched. And I just reached out to him one day because um, I was just curious whether or not he had any footage with Trevor in it. And first of all, uh, the first thing he asked me is, uh, 
you know, how do I know this is really Trevor's dad? He was getting so much uh, hate mail and messages. And, and he, he, of course, he wanted to be respectful of what happened to Trevor and wanted to make sure that he just wasn't giving footage away to anybody who reached out to him. But I don't know. I think I sent him a picture of Trevor and I and my driver's license or something. And, and that struck a relationship that, that I've had with Russell to this day. Um, you're, you're correct. I was on his podcast and he does an awful lot of hiking over in England. Um, and he decided that, that, that 2022 is going to be the year that he was going to, um, that he was going to hike the PCT and original, his original plans were that he wanted to, um, to go Nobo and then he changed his mind and he decided with all of the snow and the Sierra and everything else that he was, he was going to, um, he was going to go Sobo. Okay. And he, I think he was going to start, he had planned on starting, uh, around July one, but the snow and the cascades were still insane at that point in time. Yes, I remember that. So, um, he decided that he was going to do a flip-flop and he started hiking North, I think in somewhere just North of, of South Lake Tahoe. Okay. And he, he hiked up to Canada. Then he turned around and got a hitch and I think got a, maybe got a rental car and he drove back South and then he hiked all the way um, to uh, to Campo. And I had the absolute in, um, great pleasure of serving as a kind of a virtual trail angel for him and a support person to him. I sent him several uh, resupply boxes he would, of course, and I think you and I have had this conversation, Dan, that, you know, when you need to bounce gear back and forth, uh, it's very oh, it's difficult as an international, international as yeah. an international hiker. And so he asked me if it was okay, if he could, you know, send his spikes and ice axe once he got free and clear of, of those weather conditions. Um, uh, and so he was sending gear to me. I was sending gear to him. I was sending resupply boxes to him. I was talking with him sometimes three or four times a week. And then the closer that he got to the Southern terminus, the more frequently we talked, um, he got into Idlewild and, and had a very special moment on Apache peak at Trevor's accident site. And, we FaceTimed there. That was um, one of the most memorable things that have ever happened to me. And he, I think he made it from Idlewild to Campo in eight days, some, some insane amount. He was doing huge miles. <laughs> and he told me that he said, Doug, when I, when I finish, I want to come to Texas. And when he told me that, it was probably about halfway through his trek. And we were kind of trying to make some ballpark estimations on when that might be and thought that maybe if we were lucky, he could he could be at our house for Thanksgiving. And sure enough, um, he, he made it to Campo on the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. He spent the night in San Diego and flew to Dallas um, on that Wednesday before uh before thanksgiving and he spent 10 days here in dallas with my family and i and we had a wonderful family and um he he said doug i've got to have i've got to bring some flowers or what can i do for you i can't just show up at your house and meet your daughter and your wife for the first time empty-handed he goes what should we make and i said well how about we make something from back home 
and so he so he says uh all right yeah let me think about that well so i pick him up at like nine o'clock on wednesday we we go to a grocery store and and he i said well what are, what are we going to make tomorrow and he says we're going to do pigs in a blanket and he says we're going to do yorkshire puds mate and i said we're going to do what and he goes yorkshire puds and i said i don't know what yorkshire puds are and basically they're kind of like a uh the the bat you create you, yeah you create a batter much like a pancake batter and then you put it into a cupcake tin and it fluffs up almost into a into a very savory biscuit so we had um yorkshire puds on thanksgiving and pigs in a blanket now my pigs in a blanket i don't know about you are uh you know little sausages wrapped in uh croissants and for his it's uh little sausages wrapped in bacon so we had this oh. insane um we they had this both insane really good oh they were they were great so we had a great thanksgiving dinner um of course he was he was terribly worried about his appearance. So he had gone to the barber and got all cleaned up and we went and we got him some, some clothes that he could wear. And then uh, he and I did a two day um, uh, hike up in Arkansas or Arkansas. So some people would say, no, Arkansas. <laughs> um, it, it, it's a, it's a loop hike called Eagle rock loop. And we did about 25 miles there over two days. And he and I just had the absolute best time. And and uh, he's back in, in England right How now. Old is he? I want to say well, Russell is maybe 34. Maybe 34. And what but here you want to know something that's so so interesting. His middle name is Douglas, and his birthday is February 12th, which is the same day as Trevor's. Wow. So talk, it was almost like the universe brought us together in some way, but I still stay in touch with Russell. Um, I think he finished the trail in 120 days or something like that. He just, he's an amazing human being with, with very, very high emotional intelligence. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I was so happy, you know, when I saw that and I was like, oh, that's like, it's so nice. And it's so nice that he spent that much time with you. Oh, I know. To decompress after his hike, but also sort of to connect with you and you guys could talk trail. It's just, yep. even if you guys didn't talk, just being together, you know, would rub off on each other. And it's just, it's good for your soul. Yeah. Yep. So if you're listening, uh, Russell, or shall I say rock solid, uh, thanks. Thanks for the friendship. And, and those 10 days were absolutely fantastic. Okay, let's pause Doug's update right now. And we will insert the encore presentation of his episode with us. The rest of his updates and the closing, I'm going to put at the end of the podcast and trim it and edit it into. So enjoy the podcast. Dan, how are you? Good, good. Um, my daughter just needs, she needs 15 minutes. She just got home. I could hear her digging around for a plastic fork. So I think she has some mozzarella <laughs> sticks she wants to wolf down. She just opened up the Google Doc. So I was kind of telling her, like, don't be scared of you. You know, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's no, but you know what I mean? It's like, it's it's been almost two years. I mean, I've listened to a couple podcasts today and, Hi. Hello. So you're there. We're just waiting for Doug. Yes. What time do you think you have to jet? 
Oh, like 940. Because I got to be there for 10. Okay. You only got 10 minutes. (laughs) I know. Hey, Dan here. Before we start, wanted to let you know that my daughter Chantel will join back into this podcast after I first talked to Doug about how Trevor found his passion and love for the outdoors. We'll let you understand his, you know, the timeline of him starting his PCT journey. If you've listened to this podcast before, you'll know sometimes it's hard to pin down my daughter to record. At the last minute, her mom asked her if she could pick up my son, who was at the movies, right when we were about to record. So that's sort of what you heard off the bat. Okay, we would like to thank Doug for taking the time to come on our podcast. Before we get into our conversation, I just wanted to take some time and talk a little bit about leading up to the last two years with thinking about the possibility of just attempting this hike with my daughter to announcing to everybody that, hey, we're going to hike it. I've been researching this trail for quite some time, you know, for the last three years it feels like. I'm, I'm eager to see the snowpack of what it's going to be like in the Sierras. You know, for me, that's where my fear was. The fear of my daughter not paying attention to her footing. Then there comes the river crossings, you know, due to high rivers, as the snow melts, her stumbling while in the current, falling with her pack on, trying to take the pack off, being swept downstream, much faster than I could ever run after her. Before the Sierras, there's other places that rise in elevation and become steep. Throw in some cold weather because of that elevation, you have snow and ice. Heading north from the Mexican border, you walk and walk. On day three to five, depending on your pace, you might hit some snow in Mount Laguna and get your first taste of it. But you're always going to be going forward, looking forward to that burger on trail at Paradise Cafe at the mile marker 151. You know, leaving with that full tummy, whether it's breakfast or a burger, you get up to 4,800 feet. Go 8 miles, you're up to 7,000 feet. You know, when you're at mile marker 168, you're going to notice on the Far Out app, formerly Gut Hook, you'll see a little red triangle with an exclamation mark. Click it you know, under the Spitler Peak Trail. It's going to alert you that noble hikers, you know, starting early, be aware of unsafe trail conditions ahead, especially with that snow and ice. It explains that hikers without proper experience, mountaineering, in snow, you can also take this alternate into Idlewild and skip it, bypass it, this potentially hazardous section. I'll show that in the trail notes. Definitely take a look as you're listening to this. Click on the description. It will open up. I'm going to put links to a whole bunch of things that we talk about and photos and more words if you want a little bit more context on something that we're talking about. When thinking about this trail, I was excited that my daughter Chantelle and myself would have high elevation mountain to go over and San Jacinto would be that first opportunity. Then another one with Mount Baden-Powell after that. I watched YouTube videos of people trying to summit those. 2019, I was following Corey, aka, uh, you know, second chance hiker on YouTube, and uh, I was watching his videos. And I remember him getting to Apache Peak, which is before Mount Jacinto. It's leaving that Paradise Cafe and going up in that elevation that I talked about. In his episode 32, he was struck with fear crossing this section. He turned around. 
John King that we'll talk about, uh, who operates the San Jacinto Trail Report, they got together and they actually did a little bit of self-arresting and, and a little bit of an educational video, and I'll link to that. You know, he meets up with Corey and, uh, and they talk about that section. Corey bypasses that section, comes back to hike it later on. It's his 154 day on trail. At that episode, he slips and falls, and I'm not sure exactly where he slips and falls, but he slips and falls. Episode 74 is him having to push the SOS button that he's injured on trail because of his fall and he couldn't make it out on his two feet. He had to get helicoptered out. Episode 75 is about that helicopter evacuation. I'll link to it. I guess what I'm trying to say is this made me more aware of Apache Peak. It's dangers in the snow and ice and the slope. I still remember learning on Twitter that there was a hiker that slipped and fell on Apache Peak and passed away. It was just a couple sentences, and I wanted to learn more. A couple days later, Doug wrote an article on the trek, and he wanted to outline who Trevor was. You know, uh, give you a name, give you some photos, and also the story about his passion for wanting to get on the outdoors. So let's get started. Let's get Doug on the line. Uh, we're going to learn, obviously, about Trevor's story, his decision to hike the Majestic Pacific Trail. Doug's going to describe Trevor's first 11 days on trail. Yes, you heard correctly that Trevor unfortunately only made it 11 days in on his PTC hike before having a terrible accident that cost him his life. We'll then segue into his family, how they're taking Trevor's determination to help hikers, and more importantly, early season Nobo PCT hikers so that they understand the conditions understanding the importance of having the right gear at the right time, and more importantly, understanding your own limitations when trying to decide what is the best route for what's in front of you in whatever challenging weather and the conditions of the trail. Let's get started. Charging down those craggy mountains without thrift store friends so, so in love with the fallen earth Oh, you wake in the middle of the fallen night With the summer playing coy Okay, let's get started. Uh, obviously, we have Doug on the line, and welcome to our podcast. Uh, Thank you. We're going to be having Chantel on the line soon. She actually has to go pick up her brother at the movies. So that's always <laughs> the difficulty with booking. I mean, you know, getting that time with her is hard. Usually she's like, I have midnight to record with you or, but you're a special guest. You're, you're an outsider. So, you know, she had to <laughs> bend the rules and, but it's hard. It's, it's just, it's hard because, uh, messaging her she doesn't answer daddy back all the time right away so i i know that drill yes so um let's just let's learn a little bit i mean obviously this you know we're going to talk a lot about safety and 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 what happened but let's just back it up from the beginning you used to live close to us uh near Cleveland. Uh, that's what I found out about you, which is not that far away. And, and in 2010, when, when Trevor was 
12, you know, you, you moved down to Texas. But I want to find out more about how Trevor kind of got hooked on the outdoors or camping or hiking. And then a little bit about how, you know, you guys would go out on, you know, father, son, hiking and backpacking trips. But where did, where did that love come from? Because I don't think of Cleveland having mountains. Well, you are correct. Um, Cleveland and, and Ohio in general don't have a mountains. They have some nice rolling terrain. Mm-hmm. The Cuyahoga Valley National Forest is not far from Cleveland, and and that's a beautiful area. But um, that was just not anything that Trevor was exposed to when we when we lived in Ohio, and when we came to uh, Dallas. Dallas, uh, for the lack of a better term, is about as flat as a pancake. <laughs> so any hiking that Trevor would do here, or that we would do together, would just oftentimes be on paved trails or in park systems where there might be some mountain biking trails that was used by hikers as well. But it was when Trevor was, uh, I believe, 16 years old, he was invited by a high school classmate of his to go on a four-day trip to Yosemite. Wow. And so Trevor and his friend and his friend's father spent three days hiking in Yosemite. And over those three days, Trevor hiked about 50 miles. And that completely changed the trajectory of his life. I bet. And that's Yosemite. And that's just, you know, you're not starting off with something small. That's just majestic right away. Oh, yes, absolutely. And I think that's, that's what did it for him was the majesty of the whole thing the the mountains the wildlife the geysers just everything that you can possibly imagine he experienced have you ever seen that have you ever been out i have not no i have not me neither and i describe trevor's experience in yosemite as if he had seen the world that was black and white and when he went to yosemite all of a sudden it was bright with vibrant colors and so when he came home, he immediately wanted to start scheduling some hikes with his friends, overnight hikes, backcountry camping hikes. And that, um, ironically enough, he was going to do a brief uh, section hike of the, the Appalachian Trail, just 30, 30 miles, I think. Uh, so I guess you wouldn't even call that a section but he just wanted to experience it. And so he and, and one another high school classmate had planned on doing it. His, his classmate got sick with the flu at the last minute. And so I was the stand-in. And, <laughs> and that began our father-son backcountry hiking adventures together. I've listened to you on, on a couple podcasts. I feel like for podcasts and and in our show notes i'm going to link to all the podcasts if somebody wanted you know a deeper dive and you know there's some podcasts that are very raw with emotion and then there's podcasts like from last year um because obviously you know you're trying to help out the class of 21 but there's you know there's some long podcasts where you can get the deeper dive and it's just nice listening to you just tell stories about how, you know, like this story that you're telling right now in the Smoky Mountains and, you know, couch to AT in 12 days and losing toenails <laughs> and chafing. And 
you know, I don't know yeah. how tall you are, but you, you know, you said that you've lost some weight, right? I mean, we all want to lose some weight, but me and you, we're probably, we're not going to win a race. We, well, I know I wouldn't, uh, you'll probably finish in front of me. Yeah. I mean, I know that I got to get in shape for this, you know, this, this trip and, and I got, you know, 700 days. So yeah, I'll get, I'll get in shape and all that kind of stuff. But I, like, I just wanted to just say right now is I'm going to put in the, in the show notes, a lot of the links to, you know, uh, articles, um, and podcasts and that kind of stuff. But Wonderful. I laughed when, you know, you lost some toenails and you said, you know, get off the couch, uh, and jump on the AT. Cause I mean, some people do that on the PCT, right? Like yeah. some people don't train and, and when you're, you know, my daughter's age, Trevor's age, I mean, they're just young whippersnippers where that they would get in shape by doing it. They're just, like you said, yeah. he went out to Yosemite, hiked 50 miles in three days. I'm sure he was tired, but he was just wiry that he could just do it. You know, he was so excited. Yeah. And I mean, young, being young uh, covers up a lot of inadequacies. And he was pretty, he was in pretty good shape when he went out to Yosemite. But I remember when, he he called me. I was at work, and he called me to tell me that his friend Alfredo, that he was going to uh, go do this hike with in the Smokies, had to cancel. Mm. And uh, he wanted to go by himself. And I said, Trevor, <laughs> you are 18 years old. You've never, you don't have this type of experience. You're not going to go out into the into the wilderness, into the mountains for three or four days by yourself. It's just not happening. And um, he got upset with me and hung up the phone. <laughs> 30 seconds later, my wife calls me and she said, well, there is a simple solution to this. You could just go with him. And I said, Karen, I'm, I'm X number of pounds. I'm out of shape. I, I wouldn't make it. And the one thing that the, the prophetic thing that she said that, that stands with me to this day is she said, if you don't go with him, you'll regret it for the rest of your life. Oh, it's great that, memories. You know, and that's it, all she needed to say. And that catapulted my hiking adventures with my son. I tell people Trevor adored hiking. He loved hiking. He was passionate and in love with it. I enjoyed it, but I did not share the same passion that he had. But the one thing that, that count kind of counterbalanced that is that I loved spending time with my son. Absolutely. And yeah. and it didn't matter what we were doing. So if you wanted to spend time with me out in the woods, well, I'll throw on a backpack and off we go. Yeah, you'll go to Cabela's, you'll buy tons of gear that you don't need and tons of food that you'll never eat. But, you know, both of you will be farting in the tents and and and, <laughs> and just joking, you know, and, and that's the that's the good memories. Like that's, that's kind of like what I want to do with my daughter, even though she doesn't toot in the tent, she's got to put up with my snoring and all that stuff. So. Well, just remember even women to. fart. They do, just, but you just, what you they just say, don't, you just they, don't know. They it. do fart. They just don't know. Yeah. You just don't know it. So, and I don't think she even snores. She's too skinny to snore, but yeah. Good. Yeah. You guys went on some trips and stuff like that, I guess. Because, you know, um, obviously, you know, I've listened to you on, on some podcasts and stuff. So, you know, he got really into physical fitness and running. And, and you know, after moving to Texas, went, you know, he's kind of like my son, you know, video games, get into school, 
but he took it to another level. Probably like the learning about video games, just probably he was probably excited about computers and how they work and yeah. coding and, and all that, which is awesome. Yeah. And we, we'll, we'll probably touch on this in a bit, but um, so when we lived in Ohio, Trevor, Trevor was an athlete, but we lived in rural Ohio, relatively rural, a part of Cleveland. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when I say Trevor was an athlete, uh, he did not, I mean, he played sports, but he was not elite because he didn't have to compete with elite players. When right. you move to Texas, it's everything is bigger in Texas. And oh, I've heard he quick he quickly realized that um, sports was not going to be his thing, but academics and computers were, and that's what that's what drove his his passion for computing and writing code and and what led him to be a um, graduate as a as a software engineer from Ohio State and mm-hmm. and subsequently how he got his trail name, but. Yeah, he and I, we we did hikes in uh, in the Smoky Mountains. Uh, one spring break, we went a beautiful, beautiful thirty mile loop in Arkansas in the Washita National Forest called Eagle Rock Loop. Probably one of my favorite places that I've hiked. I just loved it. There is a national park in Texas right along the Mexican border hmm. called uh, Big Bend. And Trevor and I went and did a 30-mile loop hike down in Big Bend on their Outer Rim Loop, uh, which was beautiful. And then, of course, Trevor went to school at Ohio State. And while he was gone, he joined the trekking club at Ohio State. And I didn't did even lots know there weekend. would be such a thing. Like, I, I wouldn't think that a university or a college would have a trekking club, but it's like, that is that is so awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, he didn't talk a lot about it with me, but he met some friends and they uh, headed up into the far northeast and did some more section hiking of the Appalachian Trail. They did the presidential traverse. And then Trevor and some of his roommates would often take long weekends and uh, and go down to the Smoky Mountains and hike. So it became a mainstay in his life for sure. Oh, absolutely. Obviously, you know, you guys are spending some time together, which is great. He's got this passion for, and you know, obviously he's into fitness, so I'm sure he could hike at a really good pace. Uh, but then hiking with you, I'm sure that it's like my daughter. She'll, she'll wait up for me. She'll, she's just happy I'm there. Do you know what I mean? And she'll, she'll slow down for me and she'll wait for me. And, and, and she's, you know, just excited that, that I'm going to be doing this, this hike with her. And I'm sure with, you know, when, when Trevor, you and Trevor were out together, I'm sure it was the same thing. Like he's, he's waiting for you to get up the hill. And, and well, you know, it's interesting that you say that, um, Dan, when Trevor and I first started hiking, he, his mantra was dad, we go at your pace. If you stop, I stop. If you go a mile an hour, I go a mile an hour. <laughs> and we did that for our first couple couple hikes and then might have been burning him inside he might have wanted to like well let the but gas after go a while and, you know, i think trevor's quick. and i think it may have started in big bend trevor trevor's um need for speed so to speak mm. i think finally caught up to him and he finally would just pass me and he said i'm gonna 
and it would always not it would never happen on flat surface it was always on the big climbs and he would say i'll see you at the top of the mountain yeah and 45 minutes later i'd get to the top of the mountain and he'd be taking a nap underneath a tree yeah and you're and i'd get to the top and he'd say okay it's about time let's go and i'd say well now i need my nap (laughs) exactly so what was it like when how did he how did he do you know like do you know how he heard about the pct like what was his moment like hearing about this trail and kind of wanting to do this this big trip i wish i could answer that for you dan i'm not a hundred percent certain all i all i remember is during trevor's junior year in college uh one night he phoned his 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 mother and i and he said I've got really good news. He said, (laughs) I've worked my schedule. I've looked it over frontwards and backwards. And I think that if I do this, this, and this, I'll be able to graduate a semester early and graduate in three and a half years instead of four. Sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. And of course, I was very excited about that because... I'm very passionate about my career and I wanted him to be just as passionate about his career. I wanted him to get started in his career. I wanted him to start earning a living. I wanted him to be able to start paying back some of his student loans. Yeah. There was, there was a lot of things that I envisioned for him. And, and then uh, later in the conversation, or maybe it was, a, a, a you know, sometime later he said, well, the reason that I'm graduating early is because I want, I want to hike the PCT. And I was adamant that that was not a good idea. He and I uh, had a pretty heated disagreement about it. My wife and I, my wife was very supportive of him. I was not. So my wife and I had some disagreement on it. Was that more about like, because sometimes like when I told my dad, my dad, I mean, my dad was like, you know, my dad was almost 90. So my dad is always like, save your pennies. What? What do you want to go quit your job or go for a walk? Like he doesn't understand going for a walk for six months, save your pennies. Like when you were, didn't really thought, Oh, you really want to do the PCT. Was it more of just like kind of get to work, save your pennies. It's not a good use of time. Yeah. I mean, and it's just a generational thing. My expectation was you get a job, you graduate, you get a job, you start building a life. Um, you start saving money, doing all the things that that are that I quote unquote deemed responsible, mm-hmm. and 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 start saving money, pension pennies or whatever, just like you said. And but Trevor said something to me and and my wife, and and it just opened my eyes. And he said, "Well, Dad, that might be your idea of what I should do when I graduate, but it's not what I want to do now." Of course, he uh, he did some internships while he was at Ohio State and made a fair, fair amount of money. But he used that and turned around and used that to pay his tuition. Mm-hmm. So he was still very reliant on us financially. And he knew that if he was going to go hike the trail, he was going to, to need our financial support. Mm-hmm. And uh, And of course, a lot of research suggests on average about $1,000 a month per hiker is what it takes to finish some people spend more some people less but on average about a thousand a month so he was probably looking at needing about four thousand dollars in support from 
from uh, his mother. Yeah, it's and like I. a little bit more in debt. Like he got student loans. It's like a little bit more in debt. Get yeah, this yeah. Way. Like you know, let me do this, and then I'll I'll work for the rest of my life. You know, like yeah, everyone else does. And um, so when he finally said, "Dad, that's that's not what I want to do, though. That's not how I want to live my life." That was an eye opener for me, and it kind of took the air out of my sails and so i thought about it and i finally told him i said okay if if you're gonna do this the only way that i'm gonna be able to support it because you need you need to keep your academics up you Mm -hmm. need to graduate early so you can't let the foot off the gas pedal at school i said the only way that i'll support this is if you let me be your trail manager so to speak right and and i said uh, because this helps keep me vested into the process and make sure that we're going to keep you safe, make mm-hmm. sure that uh, that we understand and you understand what's going on. It's nice. Be it's nice the... for the parents to understand what this trip is. You know, like some parents oh. might not do a little dive. They do a dive into it, but they might not know everything about the trail. So it is kind of nice to know, to dig deep and, and to learn about the logistics and and we always think that our kids are young so you know we can give them advice and you can look at you know equipment and gear and logistics and all that stuff yeah 100 percent. and that was my way of being involved in the process and once i got involved in the process i started doing gear reviews and clothing reviews and ultralight reviews And looking at resupply strategies, all the logistics that you had mentioned. And then I discovered YouTube. And I discovered all of these hiking influencers that that basically vlogged their entire PCT through hike on YouTube. And I started watching them. And boy, I got got sucked in hook, line, and sinker. I, I all of a sudden went from this skeptic to somebody romanticizing the trail daydreaming of me being out there hiking it and instead of trevor and so i i joke that by the time that he left i wanted the trail for him as badly as he wanted it for himself i don't think that that's an accurate statement but boy that's what it felt like at the time i was i was i was all in 100 percent all in fully committed to his even if he was playing football at ohio state you would be you know practicing that you're throwing the football too yep 100 percent when did he um, get connected with his girlfriend? Did he meet her at school? Like, were they going out for a long time? Yeah. So he met his girlfriend, Elise, at Ohio State, and they became very close. They became very serious. He had actually, I think about after a year of dating, he he came home um, one Christmas break and, um, and Elise uh, didn't come with him for the full stay, but she came down for part of it and we got to meet her and she spent New Year's with us. And Elise became a, a very close member of our family, right? Uh, so Trevor and Elise graduated together. How that was choreographed, I'm not sure, but they graduated at the same time from Ohio State. She had a degree in hospitality management mm-hmm. and she had an internship working in a hospitality uh, company or an organization i think it may have been a restaurant of some sort over in thailand after she graduated so oh, trevor wow. went over and stayed with her while she was in thailand for two weeks 
and uh, and came back, and ten days later he was he was ready to jump on the trail. See, because I was kind of curious if she ever thought of, you know, before she starts a career, if she would be interested in, maybe she wouldn't want to hike all the way up to Crater Lake, but maybe she'd want to do like a little section or that kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't know if that was ever discussed or not. I, I bet not. Um, Trevor liked to get out, try to get her out and do some some hikes with him whenever possible but Mm -hmm. i don't think hiking was in her dna like it was his and so i suspect not but they she was going to so trevor had a job at microsoft out in seattle washington Mm -hmm. and he had hoped that he would be able to make it to crater lake by about the fourth of july and because he he Microsoft told him that he needed to start working for them. I think it was going to be the third week of July. And Trevor and Elise had planned on on moving out to Seattle together and and potentially starting a life together out there. Um, obviously, that did not happen. Mm-hmm. But the one of the best blessings of, of our family's life is that we are um, incredibly close with, with Elise to this day. It's it's like you have a daughter-in-law. You you are a hundred. It's almost more like another daughter. Yeah, exactly. She she was just at our house this weekend for for the last uh, three or four days visiting us. That's nice. Yes, she she visits us quite frequently. She went on vacation with us after Trevor's accident. We went to a very remote part of uh, Colorado and stayed in a cabin and did some hiking out there. She went with our family and it's nice. And the the immediate aftermath of his accident, she actually came and, and lived with us for about three weeks so we could grieve together. I mean, you'll always be connected for life. You know, you guys are a lot a lot closer and that's yes. that's awesome. That's that's nice. Yeah. I'm sure she appreciates the relationship just just the same. So Yeah, and she has formed a a relationship with my daughter Olivia. Yes. So Elise is a couple years older than her, but they they have become like sisters. It's nice. And it's just wonderful to see that happen. But um, we're just extremely grateful. We just feel that she's part of our family. Going back to the, the PCT, and you were talking about how you were the trail manager and you had PCT brain and, you know, you're trying to think of the logistics. So me as a father, when I found out about this trail and I'm like oh I want to do this I want to do this with my daughter I naturally was scared I was scared of this besides me getting up on up and down all the hills with enough breath to talk but I was scared of river crossings and things like Forester Pass you know like the way you see Forester Pass and a little picture it's like this little tightrope that you're probably scared and you're just going inch by inch And to me, I don't know, it looks like 50 feet or something like that. But I was scared um, of my daughter, you know, of my daughter kicking, not paying attention, being tired, kicking a rock, tripping, falling, and just being that helplessness um, or even a river crossing because it feels like she's 80 pounds. She's like, she's super, super skinny. Maybe the water would just go around her. Maybe I'm the one that should be scared of of on like the wall, the wall in the river. When, when you were learning about the trail, you probably weren't even thinking about Apache peak 
in Fuller Ridge or even San. You were probably worried about the Sierras like me. Probably that's what everyone's scared about. Or it's going to be a big snow year. What's the snow going to be like? Yeah. So uh, all great points. Um, of course, everybody thinks about the Sierra for for obvious reasons. If it's a heavy snow year, it's it's extremely dangerous. By all accounts, the the snow year in 2020 was was low and was forecasted to be low. So we were confident. Trevor intentionally chose the March start date. Not that he would have had m- many options in April, but Trevor intentionally chose the March start date because he knew that his, his time on the trail was limited. Yes. And so I was fully aware of Fuller Ridge. I was fully aware of Mount San Jacinto. But when I did my research... Uh, what was interesting about my research is that Apache Peak, where Trevor's accident took place, had been closed due to a fire closure for the previous six or seven hiking seasons. And I didn't know that. Like, obviously, we talked just briefly. I don't know if that was a week ago, two weeks ago. I learned of that the first time. And one thing I didn't really know, too, and you were mentioning how you were watching some of the, uh, you know, the YouTubers. And in one of the podcasts, you mentioned you watched Corey, the second chance hiker. That was 2019, a year before Trevor went. And you were talking about how you watched, you know, he had a couple videos and, you know, he was legitimately scared. He was. He couldn't, he couldn't cross that. So, and I saw that video too, and I banked it because, well, I'm going to show that to my daughter when we get closer, you know, because it is something to worry about. I didn't worry about it too much, but because everyone talks about the Sierras or, you know, San Jacinto, I understand. I, the way I look at San Jacinto or whatever is, is like Mount Whitney. If it's too sketchy, well, you just don't go up. You just go around it. It's not a big deal. People don't, you know, hang your head in shame. It was nice if you can get up it, but if it's too sketchy, you go around it. Um, yeah. Great point. And um, the, the, the dangerous thing about San Jacinto is, First of all, inexperienced hikers believe that the Southern California desert is just all flat, hot sand. <laughs> yeah. And what you don't realize is that much of Southern California is the high desert and Mount San Jacinto is less than 200 miles into the hike. And so hikers don't even have their hiker legs. They have minimal experience by, for, for, most hikers, they get to, to the San Jacinto mountain range within two weeks of their start. Yeah. And they don't know what they don't know. And all of a sudden, you're, you're stuck in this really dangerous situation. And um, I tell people that while the PCT is dangerous, much of it is a designated wilderness by the United States Forest Service. But if you have proper preparation and good risk mitigation strategies, being willing to make the decision, yep, it's time to time to take an alternate or time to turn back around. I'm I'm just simply not doing it. That's that's the attitude and the mindset that you have to have. That you know it's the we're going to live to fight another day type thing. And when when you're willing to do that even if it means at the expense of separating yourself from the trail family that you formed, Mm -hmm. that's what's going to help keep you alive. You have to remember that 
your obligation, your safety, your life, um, your obligation is to your family and friends back home. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're right. You're totally right. You know, when you talk about when people think about the, the desert section, you know, even last year, there's incredible heat waves and, and that's another danger too, with just, you know, battling the heat. Um, you know, like Trevor, when he started off, you guys kind of agreed probably that, Hey, let's uh, do some, you know, maybe do 12, 13 miles, get, get, you know, get your trail legs. But that's exactly goes, it. Yep. Lake Marina day one heading off to the 42 uh, mile marker in Mount Laguna gets into some elevation and that's your first taste of snow. And yeah, even though it's not scary, like, I don't think there's any, like people don't talk about uh, there's no like peaks and stuff like that, but it's just, it's cold. It's uh, it's not fun hiking in snow and it's just, you know, they kind of got kind of hunkered down in, in Mount Laguna. He, he pulled into Mount Laguna. I'm not sure how, but he had, now, of course, this was on day three, so he had not really even was adopted into a trail family or anything. So he pulled into Mount Laguna by himself, and uh, I knew that, that, that there was bad weather coming in. And I remember he called me. I was at work, and he said, Dad, Dad, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to do. I, I'm in this blizzard snowstorm, and <sighs> the Mount Laguna Inn is closed. And I said, well... They have a, a, like a, what the best I could describe it is like a, a small neighborhood of tiny yeah, a houses. little tiny village. Yeah, a little tiny village. And, and they're all rentable through Airbnb. And I said, let me see if I can't get you one. Long story short, he called me back about five minutes later and he said, never mind, the, the inn is open and there's a bunch of people inside. I was just on the wrong side of the building. Um, and so he got together with some hikers and they, they stayed in a tiny house that night to to get out of the snow. But yeah, that was his first taste of inclement, inclement weather. And you are right. Uh, it is no fun hiking in cold, wet snow. And the next day they, their hiking group decided, you know what, we probably should stay another night. And when they called up the owner or Airbnb or whatever to extend their reservation, they said, sorry, there's another yeah. reservation already for tonight. Oh, yeah. It's so, booked by the, the bubble that's right behind you because you got it for the bubble that's right behind they wanna, you. So. They're hearing about all this weather. Yep. And, and the other thing, too, is like everyone talks about shaving weight and bring like one pair of underwear, or two pairs of underwear. But, you know, sometimes people aren't used to the cold and sometimes the sleepless nights because you're so cold because you don't have enough warm clothes because you think that the desert's going to be a little yeah. bit warmer. And by leaving early, early March or that, you're there's some cool nights and that can affect your sleep and yeah, it just kind of make it a little miserable, but it's just hard. Yeah. So so the group that he was with kind of trudged out into the snow. Yeah. And I think probably hiked about 12 or 14 miles uh, out of Mount Laguna. Uh, and then eventually night, you get to lower elevation, you know, so it gets, it warms up in that. It does. It you get the high, you get the high miles again that he's hiking. Yeah. And then finding, finding a place uh, to camp that night was a bit of a challenge as I recall. And it was kind of cold and damp, but he, he had a really good, uh, well-insulated air mattress as well as, uh, 
uh, sleeping like bag. So, yeah. so he was he was in pretty good shape uh, for the inclement weather. And then they get back down to the desert floor, and then they they start pounding out big mile days up to the day of the accident. Another thing, what was going on, obviously with two thousand and twenty, is the world is learning about you know the coronavirus. It's spreading and. All over the world, you know, countries are closing down or people are saying just stay indoors. Don't go out if you don't need to and that. And obviously there was a little bit of that. And that was hard to deal with because, you know, obviously from listening to some of the podcasts and stuff, you know, just you being the, you know, the dad. And same with my daughter here. You know, my daughter doesn't think about coronavirus, you know, like she still wants to go hang out with her friends and yeah. She works at Dairy Queen and you're just around people. They don't, they have no fear, but you just don't know. Like, I don't want her to catch it. I don't want things to go south, just to go horribly wrong just because she gets coronavirus. But I mean, there's you, you know, you're, you want him to get off the trail because of that. And, you know, you guys had some dicey days where you're just, you want him to get off the trail, but you know, he yeah, that I get it. He doesn't want to get off the trail. Yeah, Dan, that was probably that's the hard part. That it was it was incredibly difficult. So my parents live in Phoenix. Phoenix is about a five hour drive, give or take, mm-hmm. to to Campo, where the southern terminus is. And so Trevor and myself and, and his sister Olivia, we flew out to see my parents. We spent a few days out there with them. Olivia and I were going to fly back to to Dallas, and then my parents were going to drive him to the terminus. Mm-hmm. And when we flew out to Phoenix, and when we left Dallas, the world was talking about COVID. When we landed in Phoenix, <laughs> the world had changed. The stock market had crashed. Mm-hmm. Um, NBA games were getting canceled because players were... Yeah. And contracted the virus. The world had changed just in the few hours that I was on an airplane. And two days before Trevor was supposed to leave, I said, Trevor, I, I'm just not feeling that this is a very good thing for you to do. And he said, Dad, I'm too close to the to the southern terminus. I could spit on it from here. I'm not I'm not turning around. No, absolutely not. And I can understand like hikers feeling like, oh, if I'm on the trail, I'm not really around anybody. Sure, yeah. I guess going into town, maybe you put some people at risk or they put you at risk. Um, and, and even though those towns, they, they love PCT money, you know, people resupplying and that. And, and there is good people in, in those towns that were always welcoming anybody that needed help. But um, we don't even have to go into all that stuff. But sure, there's a lot of people on one side of the fence that hated everyone being on trail and then you have other people that felt like hey i'm i'm doing this thing i've been thinking about it for two years and i'm really walking by myself on a path so well the risk is really low it had become covid had become so politicized it just early on as you said there was a a segment of the hiking population that said I'm canceling my start date. I'm canceling my trip this year. I'm being responsible. All hikers should get off. Mm-hmm. And then there were others who said, I'm in the middle of the wilderness. I'm out here by myself or, you know, hiking 30, 40, 50 feet away from, from other people in my group. Um, this is the safest place that I can possibly be. Now, I work in the healthcare industry. So 
I felt like I was being responsible by telling Trevor, we don't know what this is. It could be lethal. It could be deadly. It might not be, but we don't know. It's best if you just come home. And he, he was 2000 miles away. I wasn't going to drop in with a helicopter and pull him off trail. I, I couldn't. And he just said, dad, if I lose the PCT now, I'll lose it forever. Right. He said, I'm not coming home. And so we went back and forth, back and forth for a few days until finally I realized that I am not getting this kid off the trail. And while I don't agree with his decision-making, we'll deal with that when he comes home. But for now, I just got to find a way to help keep him safe. Longer food carries, less time in towns. He was going to spend more time out in the middle of nowhere, out in the wilderness, because this was his, this was his decision now. Okay, so one thing I wanted to talk about is, you know, it was early on in the trail. You know, he did have some some hiking hiking buddies. Uh, was it Leo, Cody, and Yannick? Yannick was from Yannick, Germany. yep. Cody you got them all right. Australia and Leo from Milwaukee. I guess I just wanted to just talk about how, you know, some of those are like international hikers. And we, when we were just talking about COVID, you know, there was no place for these guys to go. Like if they were going to get off trail, They'd have to get on a plane and go home. All the all the women and men on the trail, they don't want to stop. They want to keep going because they've been thinking about it for a year, two years. Or I'm sure there was a little bit of peer pressure to like, you know, we're all in this as a group. And even though we're going through snow and going to keep going because we have this common goal. That is a it's a, you're 100 percent correct. Yannick and Cody were, were two international hikers. And if I recall correctly, I think that they had shut down routes between the U.S. and Germany as well as as Australia. So, yeah. admittedly, they those two had nowhere to go. So there was no incentive for them to get off trail because what were they going to do? Uh, stay in a hundred dollar a night hotel for the next three <laughs> months or whatever. Yeah. And I had for a glimmer. For a glimmer of moment, I Trevor had agreed to come off trail. And I said, um, your grandparents are going to pick you up in uh, Julian. Yeah. So I said, Trevor, this we've got to make this happen. And we've got to do it now, now, now. He agreed that he would get picked up at Scissors Crossing. And I said, they will be there. I think we, we talked later that afternoon. And I said, they'll be there tomorrow at noon. Just be there, and we're get, we're getting you off. And and an hour later, he called me and he said, I, "I'm not going anywhere, Dad. I'm staying on." And I think it's because they started all having conversations, and they started all started rationalizing about what their options were. And Yodi, uh, Yannick, and Cody, and where would they go if they got off, and and all these different things. And and Leo, I think was was leaning in that direction and it just so happened that they they got into warner springs which is right around mile 100 yeah 101 i think and leo had i think twisted his knee coming yeah, down he was kind of banged up so he was going to take some zeros yeah and he he was trying to talk trevor into taking a couple of zeros with him so he could heal up and Trevor said, I got to go. I'm, <laughs> I'm, my time on the trail is limited. I'm, I'm moving on because I feel great. My body's in great shape. Uh, long story short, Leo 
took a couple of zeros and was watching the news because that's all that the news, the television yeah. was talking about 24 hours a day was COVID. And he finally said, you know, I'm pulling the plug. So, so who got off, but Yannick and Trevor and Cody continued to head North. Yes. And I think we have a special guest on the line. I think we have my daughter. Young money. Hi. Hello. I can hear some typing, and I'm like, I don't think that's Doug sending texts to people. That's my daughter <laughs> sending texts to her friends of like, hey, don't bug me. I have to do this yeah. thing for my dad and talk to some guy in Texas. Yes. Yes. Well, it, it's a pleasure. <laughs> to, to catch you up, Chantel, I mean, we just, we talked about, obviously, uh, Trevor went to Yosemite. Just wanted to pause it because my daughter is now on the podcast. She made it home. She had to pick up my son who was at the movies. And I noticed she was on the podcast for about five minutes before uh, there was sort of a break and I could sort of welcome her on the podcast. Um, I wanted to give her a really quick summary of where we are in the podcast, giving her a little summary of you know how Trevor falls in love with hiking and the outdoors. He wants to do the PCT. He's now doing the PCT. So I just wanted to get her up to speed of where they are on the map so she kind of knows where they are along in the story. So let's continue. It's kind of at that 100 mile marker, getting up to mile marker 150 where there's that Paradise Cafe where we all want that big juicy cheeseburger <laughs> he was probably excited about it because i know he got there in the morning did he have breakfast did he have the burger do you know so i told him that when he stops there he's got to get the burger and and <laughs> let me live vicariously through him uh trevor got there for breakfast and instead of getting the burger trevor got the sausage burrito instead I heard that's excellent too. I if we yeah. get there for breakfast, we're gonna stay for lunch too. Because <laughs> Chantel yes. will want to charge all her stuff and text everybody. Yeah. So Trevor, uh, they had breakfast at Paradise Valley Cafe, very very famous stop along the early section of the PCT for hikers. Probably I would huge percent stop there. Um, they had breakfast. They started heading north by. Sometime mid-afternoon, I got a I got a text from Trevor that said, if I recall correctly, back in the snow, sixty nine hundred feet. Mm. And uh, about seven o'clock that evening, Trevor uh, cell reception. Trevor has Verizon as his carrier. Cell reception in the desert, for the most part, for Verizon customers, is pretty good. And he called us that night. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'm in my tent. I said, how are you feeling? And he said, my body's, my body's fine. I'm just I'm sure exhausted. he was a little dog tired because it's elevation in the snow. Yeah. He said, uh, there's a little snow on the ground. He said, I'm just exhausted. We've gone eight straight days of 20 miles or more. And he said, I can't wait to get into Idlewild tomorrow. We're going to take two zeros um, we've already got reservations, and uh, I just look forward to sleeping in a bed and getting a shower. And I, I think he had mentioned that he was looking forward to getting a pizza. Mm. And we talked for a little bit. We didn't say a whole lot, but I vividly remember that he just sounded really tired, really exhausted. 
And, uh, and I said, okay, well, 14 more miles, you'll be there plenty of time. I said, just get to the post office by five. Uh, it would have been a Friday. The post office closes at five. And I said, because if you miss it, miss it by five, I, I, they, they're, they're not open on the weekend. So you're going to have to wait till Monday before you can get your resupply, your ice axe and your, your micro spikes. And I said, uh, just give us a call tomorrow. Let us know that you made there safely. Love you, love you. And and off he went. Uh, we hung up. We said our goodbyes. You had mentioned something that triggered a, a thought in my brain. And I use this analogy with people. When we talk about safety or dangers on the Pacific Crest Trail, Trevor looked at it and he said, oh, well, only, you know, in the history of the PCT, you know, 12 people have ever died or something like that. Some ridiculously no low statistic. Mm-hmm. And I tell people that, you know, getting hit in a head on collision on the freeway by a wrong way driver is is an incredibly low statistic. But if you're sitting at home. I live in Dallas. It's a huge metropolitan area. If you hear something like that on the news, you say, oh my gosh, how terrible, how tragic, how bad you must feel for the, for the family. Maybe you, you think about it for a second or two and then you go on with your day and you don't even think about it and you just hope that it never happens to you. And I'm here to tell you that bad things happen to good people because that that head-on collision by a wrong-way driver that was this incredibly low statistic, metaphorically speaking, happened to Trevor on the PCT. And so that story that you hear on the news, there's, there's a family, there's a spouse that's left behind, there's children that are left behind, there's brothers and sisters that are left behind. Mm-hmm. And, and this, is, this is our story. It happens. I'm just, I'm telling you, it happens. So um, I kind of went down a bit of a rabbit hole there, but Trevor got up the next morning and there was some freshly fallen snow from the night before on his tent. Nothing significant, couple inches. And they got all packed up and they started heading north. And they got to Spitler Peak Trailhead, yeah. which is the last bailout point between Apache Peak and Idlewild or excuse me, prior to Apache Peak and Idlewild. But the sign that alerted hikers to that bailout point and the dangers ahead had been burnt down several years prior uh, due to forest fires. So there was no notification, and they just kept on hiking. And they got to Apache Peak, mile marker 169 and a half, roughly. And they came to a very, very, very sketchy section of trail. You think if you think about this, um, the PCT cuts into the northeast facing side of Apache Peak. Yes. So it's the northeast facing side. The northeast facing side of that mountain gets very little sun in the winter. What little sun it does get the trail is shaded by the trees and the, so whether the temperature gets warm enough or the sun penetrates it, any snow melt that you get during the day thaws and then refreezes at night. 
And the trail is actually cut into the side of the mountain. So it might be three, four feet wide at the widest section. And then if you look down to your right, there's, it's a 30 degree incline and there's nothing but death and destruction if you slip. And Trevor could not see the ice because of the snow that had fallen the night before. Yannick was leading the group. They were, they were hiking single file. Trevor was in the middle. Cody was in the back. Yannick, they, I think I'm going to, it was all sketchy. I've seen photos of the accident site. I'm not sure what they were thinking. None of them had any extensive snow experience. They didn't have the right traction devices on their feet. They didn't Did have any this. of them have traction like Cody or Yannick? No, no. Uh, Cody had never even seen snow before, let alone hike in it. Yannick had had, um, had had seen snow, but I don't think it hiked in it. Well, living in Germany, there is some mountains really close yeah. by, you know. And Trevor, living in, in Ohio, he saw snow all the time, but, but didn't hike in it. And certainly didn't have any mountains to hike in it. And Trevor lost his footing, stabilized himself for a second, and then slipped again and started sliding um, feet first, belly down, sliding down the mountain. And it, because it's just nothing but snow, you just pick up speed and more speed and more speed. And Cody and Yannick said that they, they were able to follow him sliding down the mountain for about 300 feet or a hundred meters. And they said the first boulder that Trevor hit kind of started to careen him out of control and he started cartwheeling mm. and, and then he, he disappeared from sight. They tried yelling out his name um, without response. They had Trevor's phone number. They tried calling him with no response. And after a few minutes, they, um, they activated their emergency beacons and called for search and rescue. Now you have to imagine you're in this incredibly sketchy section of trail and you just saw your hiking partner slide out of control down an ice chute. You'd be frozen. You wouldn't want to take one step forward and you probably wouldn't want to take one step backwards. And you, you are exactly right. So one of them had some paracord, I think, in their backpack. Mm. And they, they took it off and they tied themselves to the closest tree. The other one, I think, had a knife and had to cut some paracord off of their backpack and tied themselves to the closest tree. But they were, Cody and Yannick were well over 100 feet away from each other. Yeah. It was cold. There was snow, I think, might have still been falling. And when search and rescue got there, the wind gusts off Apache Peak were way too, too significant for them to be able to hoist anybody down on a cable. Yeah, I was reading that. And obviously, I think there was two helicopters. I think there was 24 people uh, that went out on that search. One helicopter was trying to help the two, the two, the two guys, you know, obviously at the top. And then the helicopter, you know, trying to go down and, and lower, um, you know, a medic and that. It, it just, I heard like the winds were just really awful. 
Yeah, the I heard. I have no reason to disbelieve this, but I heard that the that had it not been some for some really adept uh, piloting by the helicopter pilot, there were a couple of occasions where the wind gust almost blew the the chopper into the side of the mountain. Yes. It was that bad. Yeah. Um, so long story short, the the chopper identified Trevor's location. I think pinged his location, but they had to, to fly about five or six miles away before they were able to drop the medic uh, down onto the ground. They, I don't know if they hoisted him down or just landed and he got out, but the medic hiked almost six miles, five or six miles to Trevor. And by the time they got to him, um, he was already deceased. Mm-hmm. And... Um, they 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 couldn't find him at first, and and they they sadly, what put them on on his you know on his trail so to speak is that they they started to find some smattering of blood stains in the in the snow that that ultimately led them to him. But um, so later, so this all happened at about eleven thirty in the morning Dallas time. At little after lunch, I was I was not feeling so well. Um, and maybe I don't know. Maybe it's karma's way of letting me know something wasn't right. I I don't. I I kind of felt. Well, gosh, maybe I have COVID. So I shut my computer down a little bit early, and I went and I laid down on the couch. I just did not feel well, and I I don't know. I was asleep for maybe an hour or so, and I got a. a text from a dear friend of mine who was supposed to hike the PCT that year. His start date was going to be sometime, I think mid-April. Right. He he said, you hear the news, there was a death on the PCT today. And I said, oh my gosh. Then he sent me a, a link to a news article in the, the Desert Sun paper for Palm Springs, Desert Springs. And it said that a hiker had fallen down an ice chute in Mountain Center. Well, Mountain Center is where Paradise Valley Cafe is. Trevor is now 20 miles north of that area. Sure. So, so while I was, you know, saddened by the fact that, that there was a death on the trail, I was nearly certain that it wasn't Trevor for a couple of reasons. Number one. He, he was 20 miles north of that location. Number two, he had his wallet with him. And if it was him, I would have been certain that I would have been called now by, by the sheriff or law enforcement or search and rescue right. or whatever. And I had not been called. So um, what was interesting, my wife works night shift at the hospital as a nurse. And she was getting ready for work. And there was a part of me that was going to say something to her. And then I'm like, this is not Trevor. Uh, I would know by now. I'm certain that it's not Trevor. I'm not going to say anything to her. So my wife left for work. My, my daughter was at her boyfriend's house and it was just me here in the house by myself. And, you know, three o'clock turned to four o'clock turned to, you know, five o'clock, six o'clock, seven o'clock. Because he should be and, getting into Idlewild, you know. Exactly. Like he, sh- 
well, he needed to get to the post office by five doing 14 miles for him. He would have been, he would have been, been there by two o'clock, three o'clock at the latest. And, um, so I started to get worried and every time I called him, it just went straight to his voicemail. And so, uh, by about eight o'clock, I called the, uh, fire and rescue unit that was highlighted in the newspaper article. Yeah. I guess that's the Riverside Mount rescue unit. Well, so it, it was something fire and rest, something, yeah. uh, fire and rescue. So I tried calling the fire and rescue and there was no answer there. I tried calling somebody in Idlewild. I don't, I don't recall who I tried calling. They recommended that I call the Riverside uh, Sheriff, which I did. The Riverside County Sheriff said, well, how, did you, how do you know about this accident? I said, well, I, I read about it. Um, I read about it in the newspaper. And uh, you'll have to apologize. My dog That's is okay. getting excited about dog. something. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the, river, the, the sheriff said, well, how do you know there's an accident? And I said, well, I read about it in the newspaper. And um, my son is in that area. I just want to make sure that it's not him. I'm just a little worried. And he said, well, we don't have a whole lot of information right now. Uh, my recommendation, if you want to rule him out, would be to call the coroner. So I called the coroner, and they they said, well, can you describe your son to me? So I described his characteristics. Bra- brown hair, brown eyes, 6'3", 190, athletic build. I described the clothes that he was wearing. And uh, and they they. I, w- I don't want to say they played it off like it was nothing, but I got no sense whatsoever in that conversation that the person that they had was Trevor. None whatsoever. And they said, well, if you could just send us a photo of him, we'll use that to rule him out, and then you can get back to your evening. And right. I said, great. So I sent him a photo, the coroner a photo of, um, of Trevor that was taken a couple days before he left for the PCT and he was in all of his hiking gear that he, that he was wearing. And about an hour later, the coroner called back and they said, Mr. Lara, I've, I've got unfortunate yeah. news. I, I believe that the hiker that we have is your son. And I don't even remember what happened after that. <laughs> um, I, I did not cry. I didn't scream. I, I think that I went into shock and I immediately said, okay, well, how, do, how am I going to tell my wife this? How am I going to tell Karen this? How am I, I going to, yeah. How am I going to communicate this to Olivia? I called Karen at work. I never called her at work. And I said, Karen, you, you need to come home right now. And of she, she knew something bad had happened. Absolutely. You don't, you know, anytime someone, you know, you ever get a phone call like that. Yep. You know, it's not a good phone call. Yeah. And admittedly after, after the fact, she said, I thought you were telling me calling to tell me something had happened to my dad or her dad. Right. Um, That's the way it should be. You know, like, you know, your, your kids aren't supposed to pass away 
it's the grandfathers that pass away when they're 90 and you know what I mean? Everyone's supposed to live till they're 90 or, yeah. or, or die trying at 80. And so she, she fell to the floor in the middle of the nursing unit at the hospital. One of her coworkers drove her home. I had to, I had to call my daughter and tell her to come home. And she started driving home and she, she finally pulled over the side of the road. She said, I'm not driving another, uh, another mile until you tell me what's going on. So I told her and it, I, that's that evening. I did not even, I don't even recall experiencing any emotion. I didn't cry. I didn't scream. I just, I felt like a zombie. And, um, so the coroner said, we think we have Trevor, but we can't be certain. We can't be certain until we get, um, confirmation from his fingerprints. Do you know if he ever had his fingerprints taken? And I said, well, he's never been arrested. I, I don't (laughs) know if he's ever had his fingerprints taken. They said, well, we're running his fingerprints. If not, we may need you to get his dental records. And, uh, and I said, okay, well, how about I, I, I hop on a plane and I'll be out there first thing in the morning and I can identify, identify the body in person. They said, that's not how it works. Okay. We, we need to take these other steps. And so about every hour, hour and a half later into the evening, the coroner would call and say, we haven't heard anything yet. We haven't heard anything yet. We haven't heard anything yet. And I said, well, can you just take a picture, take a photo? and send it to me. And they said, no, we're, we're not permitted to do that. Um, you know, of course, if it wasn't Trevor, would I share the photo? Would I put it online? Whatever. Yeah. And, um, so about one o'clock in the morning, the coroner calls me back and they said, um, do you have an iPhone by chance? And I said, yes. And they said, if you would be willing, we would be willing to FaceTime with you. So we did a FaceTime and they showed us a, a video of the person that they had. And, and it was Trevor. Mm. And, um, it's just the most horrific, horrifying thing that you could ever imagine in your life. I've read medical and scientific studies that have said that there's not a single thing on the planet that is more traumatic than, than losing a child. Yes. And I believe it. I believe it. Um, and so in the aftermath of his accident, the news had got out about, about the accident. Uh, Elise Trevor's girlfriend had, had posted something on Reddit and, um, and so, so news had gotten out about Trevor and maybe was the name were... behind the, the accident type of thing. Well, um, Elise said it was my boyfriend, but I don't believe she put Trevor's name. Okay. But, but at least were, it's there... getting, yeah, it's getting yeah. more the people behind the person that had the accident because i'm i was reading it on twitter and you know you only see three sentences you know you don't know anything about the person and this was march 27th and 
April 1st comes, I have a feed reader, so I get a notification, I follow the trek, and, you know, there's the article that you wrote, you know, because you wanted to, you wanted people to know the name, not just the three sentences of, you know, he's, he's the 13th person or the 12th person, and it's just an asterisk, and you did an excellent job, and that just floored me, you know, and I... You know, when I, I, I just gravitated to it and I just and then in June, you did the podcast on the trek. And that was obviously I guess I think that was your first podcast. It was. And that's really raw. And, you you know, you read it. And then they also interviewed a little bit of the Riverside Mountain Rescue Unit and, and talking about a little bit what they do because they're volunteers. And, you know, you also wanted to raise awareness and fundraising because, fundraising for them it just helps them out so much so you know why don't you talk a little bit a little bit about the riverside mountain rescue unit obviously you raise some money um and you also you know you also got in touch with cameron and eric and they helped you after well that was they helped you right afterwards about you know recovering some some of the articles yeah um riverside mountain rescue unit is a volunteer group of men and women they're they're angels who who pretend to be humans on this earth i i there's just no other way to describe it they're heroes and these are people who volunteer to save others these are people who volunteer to be, you know, pulled out of bed at two o'clock in the morning to get who who agree, you know, make arrangements with their employer that at one one thirty in the afternoon, if I get a call, I got to leave. They do training exercises and they go through certifications. Um, and it's all volunteer and it's a 501c3 charitable organization and most, I believe, of their funding comes through contributions. And so following the accident, uh, Elise, her birthday, I think maybe in April, she did one of those Facebook, hey, on my birthday, I'd like to raise, oh, yeah, money. raise money for this charity. I think she raised three or $4,000. Then... Um, we did something ourselves. Um, the article that I wrote, and then the obituary, and then and the local newspaper, both here and back in Ohio where we lived. You know, in lieu of flowers or anything like that, please make a donation to the to the RMRU. In total, I think between Elise and my family and others who donated money, we raised about fifteen thousand dollars for the RMRU. What, what's, what I am most grateful for is that if Trevor was hiking by himself mm-hmm. and he was a confident hiker, he could have just as easily been hiking by himself as he would with others. And if he would have been hiking by himself and that happened, he would, he would still be out in Southern California and we'd still be looking for him. So the fact that the RMRU brought him home to us, um, means more to me than anybody can ever know. Yes. Uh, 
Cameron and Eric were two of the lead rescuers that day. And when they sent Trevor's backpack and all of his belongings to us from the, the funeral home, ultimately sent all that stuff back to us. There were several pieces of his hiking gear that were missing. Um, his GPS watch was missing. His uh, one of his shoes was missing. Um, his trekking poles were missing. Lots of things. Pretty much anything that was on the outside of his pack was missing. And Eric and Cameron, uh, I believe on Father's Day, hiked back up to the accident scene, hiked from the PCT at Apache Peak all the way down 600 feet, going back and forth in a zigzag pattern across the, the, the mountainside down that, that chute, down to the point to where Trevor was recovered and then back up. And I think they found everything with the exception of his shoe and his watch. They found gloves, they found his hat, they found his trekking poles, they found everything and they sent them sent them back to me. Uh sent them back to our family. So the RMRU they will never be able to repay them. And whatever amount of money that we were able to generate on their behalf is is just a pittance of what they deserve. Yes. And, and, and any money that they get, it's always well needed, you know, cause I remember hearing that, you know, I think they got like a stretcher, not a stretcher, but yeah, like a, a rescue basket, I think rescue is what, basket. A rescue that's probably sled. the thing that's on the yeah. helicopter that they lower down. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh. Before we move into the next segment, I just wanted to remind you to check out the show notes. I'm going to add some photos of Apache Peak as well as maps of the area showing you also the side trails if you need to bail out in that section. I'll provide links to valuable resources to check out. Links to Doug's article that was posted a couple days after the accident on the trek called Trevor's Eternal Trail. I'll also link to Doug's first podcast a couple months after the accident. That was on Backpacker Radio. The second half of that, they interview Riverside Mountain Rescue Unit. So I'm going to provide also the link to donate to them if you wish to help them out. I'll also go through the podcast. So things that we talk about, I'll also provide links or even some more words to give you some more context. You can find the show notes in the description of this podcast. It's on our website, hikethepct.ca. If you just go to the menu, just go to the podcast. It's episode 9. Let's get back to it, and here's the last segment. Okay, um, I just want to hear more about how you're doing as well as your family with it coming up to being two years after the accident. How are you guys taking that? Boy, that is a difficult question to answer. Um, this time last year, the emotions were still very, very raw. Mm-hmm. My, I, my wife and I don't talk a lot about about the tragedy because in grief like this, I, I grieve in, a, in different ways and on different days at different times than my wife does. Mm-hmm. And if I'm having a moment at 
eight o'clock in the evening. Maybe she just came off of a moment at six o'clock and she's, she's recovered and doing a little bit better now. I don't want to, I don't want to pull her back in. And the same thing goes for her. So we, we typically did not talk a lot and, and we don't, we talk about him in positive, happy memories. And we talk about the things that we want to do to honor him, but we don't talk much about the grieving this mm-hmm. time last year. I was, I, I was still crying every single day. Um, and it didn't, things for me did not start getting until we started <clears throat> as a family starting to be hiker safety advocates and we did our Trevor Spike program, which we can talk a little bit more about. Mm-hmm. And the greatest gift that Trevor ever gave me didn't come until after his passing. He has given me purpose in life. And my purpose in life is to help other hikers. Um, so this year I'm hoping that because more time has passed and I've had an opportunity to be more fully embraced, embraceive of, of my new purpose, that it's still going to be a very somber day. So last week was Trevor's birthday and another two weeks, it will have been the, the anniversary of his start date. And then obviously 11 days after that is the, the anniversary of his accident. So this time of year in general is just a really um, bad time for our family. We, we grieve the best that we can. We still grieve every day. We are going to fly to Ohio on the anniversary of his, of his passing, just like we did last year to surround ourselves with friends and family. And, um, but, but it is still rough. People who say that it gets easier, it, it does not get easier. You just find a way to, to carry the grief and live with it, but, mm-hmm. but it never gets easier. But I, I, I'm very, very grateful that you asked that question because it, it is every single day. I pray to him every single night, every day I have conversations with him. I don't cry every day anymore, but I, I cry multiple times per week. It just, Trevor was, was my hero. And I tell people that he was my gift to the world, just like my daughter is. They are, our, they are our gifts to the world. And he was changing the world and was going to change the world. And I tell people he was going to change the world by writing a software, computer software program. And you're supposed to lose your children. No. Mm-hmm. Also, too, is, you know, obviously there's these anniversaries of, anniversary of him starting and 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 then also with how you are sort of you you have this passion of trying to help this year or every year's pct class his start date is happening with a bunch of new hikers start dates right so in february just like we are right now um you know we'll get this podcast out and you know if it helps it's going to help people you know, but if it helps one person, it's it's a good thing. The other things that you've done, 
they've helped people you know it um from the feedback that you've gotten um but that's the one thing is when you have these milestones about trevor you also have this passion too because you're going to be connected to the pct forever that is correct and um you know you have this passion to advocate different safety measures and have people think about things a little bit more than than just maybe the normal the normal amount that they think about things yeah it uh it's it's in my dna now there is not a day goes by that that i don't think of the pct that i don't think of how i how i can something new how i can help hikers i just for me it's about hiker safety advocacy education and now at the trevor spikes program that our family launched in collaboration with fowler o'sullivan foundation and nomad venture it just um this is the legacy that i want to leave for trevor we can't have his death be in vain something good has to come of it and if we're able to change the mindsets of the Chantels of the world or other <laughs> or other 20-something-year-old hikers who are in the, the shape of their life, who are in the prime of their life, who their confidence is at the highest that it's ever been, if, if I can just make you pause for an hour in your preparation for the PCT to stop and think about safety and what you can do to create a safer environment and, and a proper mindset that you can get yourself into from a risk mitigation standpoint, then I've done my job. And I bank stuff. I bank stuff in my Evernote self-arrest videos um, and different things. And that's, you know, we live in Ontario and, and, we have like little mountains or whatever, little ski mountains. But that's something that I want to do is I'd love to see if there is a course where I live that we could go and play with some ice axes and stuff. Maybe there's a, a course like a, a winter course to learn about self-arresting and even to, to practice on, on hills that if we slipped and fell, nothing's going to happen to us. But just practicing with our crampons, practicing to know that if you did slip and fall from this, even from Trevor's accident, you know, I knew that we were going to have ice axes early. You know, we were going to go the micro spike route. I'm going to go with the hiking crampon with the with the good teeth. But we're also going to carry micro spike where the places that are slippery, but not dangerous if we fall, just we want traction. You know, for the Apache Peaks or for the real, you know, the real crazy stuff, I want the real crampons. But then I also want to learn that if we fall and we're self-arresting, you know, that we we lift up our feet and stuff so that the crampons don't get caught and we go ass over kettle. What happened to Trevor, we are going to benefit from it because we are going to carry that stuff. We are going to connect with people that... You know, after we do Apache Peak and after we do Mount Sacinto and then Mount Baden-Powell, yeah, maybe we don't need that stuff. We'll find a friend that we can mail our stuff to and they'll mail it back to us for Kennedy Meadows. So, you know, you brought up about the Trevor Spikes. So go into more detail about how that works. Yeah, so the Trevor Spikes program originated 
in a sidebar conversation following my Backpacker Radio podcast. So after the podcast was over, Zach Badger Davis and Chance and I all kind of just stayed on the phone and talked. And I said, we have got to find a way. I've got to find a way to make sure that, that people are aware of the dangers of Apache Peak and how important they need it is to have uh, microspikes. And so I started talking about the idea of maybe getting donations of gently used microspikes, putting them in a hiker box at Paradise Valley Cafe. They could pick them up free of charge there. They could kind of use them as a loaner program, use them, take them into Idlewild, and then maybe drop them off at the gear shop or the pizza shop or a hotel. And a trail angel could then take them back to Paradise Valley Cafe, and it would just be kind of this circular rotation. And so logistically, I I just didn't feel that that was a great idea. So I I was having regular um, phone conversations with the executive director of the Fowler O'Sullivan Foundation, which is a foundation started in memory of missing PCT hikers, uh, David O'Sullivan and and Chris Fowler. Mm Mm-hmm. And we kind of just started talking through what a microspike program might look like. And so I reached out to Nomad Ventures, which is a, which is a gear outfitter in Idlewild. And we had a conference call and I just said, if my family and Fowler O'Sullivan uh, funded a discount, so you sold them at full price or you sold them at 20% off, and the difference between what you sold it at and full retail price, we will pay you the difference. Could you find somebody, could you find a trail angel who lives in Idlewild who could drive those purchased micro spikes down to Paradise Valley Cafe? So the hikers have their safety when they need it, where they need it. Yes. And Julie who's the uh, manager at Nomad Ventures, says, well, I'll do you one better. I live across the street from Paradise Valley Cafe. I'll just (laughs) drop them off myself. And so that's how the Trevor Spikes program was born. And and, and get it delivered at Paradise Cafe because that's that's when you need it and you're just about to head up in the elevation. No, No need to carry that extra weight through you across the desert floor. Safety where you need it, when you need it. I think that's a great, that's a great thing. Mm-hmm. So um, just tell us about Trevor's 100 day trek on Facebook and also the outpouring of support from the hiking community. What has that brought to your family? Um, at Trevor's celebration of life, his best friend Chandler got up and said something uh, at his celebration of life. And I, I, I'm paraphrasing here, and I, I, I w- I'm not doing his speech justice, but he said, if you have never hiked a, a trail that is not paved, if you've never been out in the wilderness, if you've never spent the night in the wilderness in a tent, he said, I would implore you to consider doing so. It changed Trevor's life. Mm. And... And I would encourage you to do the same. And, and, and that speech that Chandler gave really resonated with me. But more importantly, it resonated with my wife and my daughter and my sister-in-law. 
And they thought, what better way to honor Trevor than to encourage people to get out and hike or exercise or walk. And Trevor, Trevor's going to be on trail a little bit more than 100 days. But roughly speaking, it was about 100 days. And so my wife, in conjunction with my daughter and my sister-in-law, started on Facebook Trevor's 100-Day Trek. And basically all it is is that we encourage people to get out and hike a mountain, hike a park, hike the sidewalk in your neighborhood, enjoy nature, get out and move and put some steps underneath your feet. My wife, she she enjoys getting out and walking, but not for 100 days straight. Last year, she, she got out and she walked at least two miles a day for 100 days straight. And it changed her life because it made her healthier we probably had about 20 or 30 people who uh and we encouraged people to post your photos so every day people were posting photos some of them were in their park some of them were on a hiking trail somewhere some of them were in their just walking on the, their dog on on the sidewalk and so this year uh we're going to do it again it's going to start on March 16th, the Trevor's start date, and we'll go for 100 days. I think this year we're going to try and print T-shirts for anybody who wants to participate. And we would kindly ask anybody who would want a T-shirt to make a donation uh, to the RMRU. Uh, but we want to find a way to somehow try to monetize Trevor's 100-day trek in a, in a way that we could use it to raise funds for either the Fowler O'Sullivan Foundation or for the RMRU or even the PCTA. Exactly. And it's just, and it's also getting people to just get outside and see nature of how Trevor saw nature and fell in love with it. Yeah. You know, and it's, and it's great that your wife went out and, and did more walking because it helps with just decompressing. Like obviously she has a, a stressful job, you know, she still works in, in healthcare and, um, I do want to get into the safety reminders and that sort of thing. So I'm just curious, obviously, just listening to you talk, I'm just curious if you interested in ever doing a little bit of the PCT? The, the short answer is yes, 100%. My career is a big part of my life right now. It's a big part of my family's life. Hmm. So taking six months off to do this is is not in the cards for me now some people say well then doug it just must not be as important well, you don't have to do the whole thing I mean, yeah you could just you could do a little section you know you could go camping in yosemite and that's a great thing yeah in 2020 september of 2020 my family was going to go out to southern california um my high school friend who is the one who alerted me to trevor's accident Mm-hmm. And my father, we were going to fly into um, Palm Springs, drive Paradise Valley Cafe, and hike from Paradise Valley Cafe to the accident spot, spot and then finish off um, what Trevor would have done in the Idlewild. Two days before we left, I had been training like a like a madman. Oh, <laughs> two days before we were supposed to leave. With all the forest fires, the state of California oh, yes. closed down all of the national public trails. So we weren't able to go. That is still a desire of mine. And there's a part of me that says, well, even if I can't do the whole PCT, I, I want to hike from Campo to Idlewild. 
it'd probably take me three weeks, but but that would be my goal. That's what I would like to be able to accomplish. Oh, for sure. I didn't even have to answer the question because I kind of knew yep. you would you would get out there and in some some form and 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 go a certain distance. Absolutely. You know, we should switch over to and talk about the reminders, safety reminders, and and obviously there's something obviously on the PCTA about it. And, and some of them, like, I mean, I just wrote down some little notes and stuff, but, and we, we've been talking through this podcast a little bit about certain things. And I think at the end, you know, I do want you to talk a little bit about Apache Peak and, and it's okay to go around and embrace the alternative. And I'm just going to go through some of them in order. Uh, and they're just from the PCTA. And, and there was a little article. I think, I think you might've had a little hand in it. The first thing that I'm just going to go in order is, you know, carry an emergency beacon. And, you know, I, I didn't, until I read this, yes, I've gone out and bought a Garmin inReach. In the very beginning of planning this trail, I thought, does Chantel need one? You know, there's two of us. Does she need one? And even after hearing about Trevor, you know, she does. Because if something happens to me and I fall, you know, she needs to push it. You know, it's money well spent. You know, even if I go out and buy a Garmin inReach for both of us, I could find somebody to sell them at a discount. I could, I could find someone to sell it to, you know, I'm kind of just renting it, but that's, that's an important thing. And one thing I found out by listening to one of the podcasts that you were talking about is um, Trevor didn't have his on and it was more about saving battery. Cause that's kind of, obviously he had some colder weather. Every young person plays on their phone a little bit. I think my daughter has to learn she can't play on her phone because it's going to be dead. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and, and you can only bring so much little battery banks. Kind of when I heard that, like Trevor didn't have it on, and I get why somebody might want to turn it off to to save the battery. But that's something like a, you know, even if you're hiking as a couple, you know, if it's if it's boyfriend girlfriend or husband and wife or even just two friends, it's it's good that everyone has one. I I agree, one hundred thousand percent. You have to have one. You you are correct. Trevor was was very concerned that if he had a GPS locator, but it but he didn't have it wasn't charged or it didn't have any battery life, it would be useless. In Trevor's mind, and the way he explained it to me, it made perfect sense. You know, if I if I break my ankle, if I dislocate my shoulder, all I have to do is reach over. I have it on my backpack strap. I'll power it on hit the hit the SOS button and the cavalry comes running. What Trevor didn't think about and what Trevor didn't forecast for is what happens if there's a catastrophic accident in which I'm incapacitated and can't power the device on, can't do the SOS. If you keep the, your device on, it has a geolocator on there that pings a satellite at a set frequency, mm-hmm. whether it's every minute, Five minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever interval you set. Had Trevor been alone that day and he would have fallen, his geolocator would not have helped because it wasn't turned off. Had Trevor been by himself and he had it turned on, we would have been able to find his position because it would have pinged the satellite. Yeah. So have a geolocator, GPS locator, and, and keep it turned on and make sure that you have charging capacity. Yeah, and learn and learn the little tips and tricks on how to save your battery on your phone, 
how yep. to how to keep things charged a little bit better in cold temps. So there's there's those little tips and tricks you can Google to just help keep your electronics, you know, healthy and charged. Yep. The second thing that was on there was learn how to navigate. It makes sense. You know, read the landscape, the conditions, but also learn where to bail out, where the bailout points are for the Sierra, San Jacinto, Apache Peak. I mean, here, I guess you might as well just talk about a little bit about how, you know, the bailout points. Yeah, I I required that Trevor carry a paper map with him because the paper maps told you all of these bailout points. When we were re- referencing bailout points, I was more concerned about, well, what happens if a forest fire crops up 10 miles in front of you? Will you be able to get off trail? The paper maps have those bailout points. The gut hook app or the far out app that people use now, they they have some, but not all necessarily. So Trevor carried both, but you have to be able to read the terrain. You have to be able to make a decision. Is that terrain, is fording that river is that section of trail is navigating apache peak fuller ridge mount san jacinto is it within my skill set and if the answer is no there is no shame in saying i'm not going to put myself at risk i'm not going to put my life at at risk i'm going to turn around and i'm going to find that alternate and i will bypass it and i'll come back around the other side Uh, Somebody that I spoke to today used the phrase, live to fight another day, live to fight another day. And that's what those bailout points will do for you. And it's okay. There's no shame of going around because at the end of the day, you want to make it to the finish line. Hopefully you want to get to Canada. If that's your goal, get up to Canada. You want to be able to get up there. Yep. Um, Some people say, well, if you if you take an alternate, you're not a purist. Well, I'd rather not be a purist and, and have my life. Uh, because I'll tell you, Dan, if, if you two go and you, you stop at Spitler Peak and you say, we're going to bypass Apache, we're going to bypass that 10, 12-mile section, and we're going to get back on the PCT after Idlewild, I'm not going to, and you make it all the way to Canada, I'm not going to tell you, who am I to tell you not a thru-hiker? Of course you're a thru-hiker. Turn did it you, into did a you, positive. You know, it, yeah, gives you, did, it gives you a silly excuse that three years later we could go on vacation for a week and go for a little hike when the conditions are perfect. Yep, absolutely. And we could go to Yosemite and, you know, go camping a little bit, go see it again. 100%. Uh, there's, there's another one. Communicate with loved ones. Tell them where you are. And also, you know, use the settings on the Garmin inReach. You can set it up to like ping a certain group Uh and they just kind of know your location. The the Garmin inReach Mini does allow you to do preset messages. Uh, They give you a certain number. I'm not how many, sure how many, but, you know, one could be made it to camp, all is well. That, That could be one message or stops for lunch or, you know, money. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, that money. Um, but you, you can connect it by Bluetooth to your phone, and then you can just type on your phone just as you would like a text and send messages that way too. Yeah, that's true. But I guess the bottom line is tell people where you are. It doesn't matter even if you're doing a day hike where you live. Tell people you're going on a day hike where you live because sometimes something can get silly and you get yep. lost. And exactly. you're just you know, you're in your local woods and you're lost. 
what else? I mean, hiking, hiking with others is safer. I mean, so true. Yep. Um, but then on the other hand, if you don't feel comfortable with something, you know, don't be shy to like raise your raise raise your voice. Well, and and that's where I tell people that you, the old hiking moniker, hike your own hike. I say it in the context of safety that you know if you if you're hiking with three other people and those three people want to ford that river but but you're not willing to do it all right well I, i'll i'll camp here overnight and i'll do it at you know i'll do it at five o'clock tomorrow morning or six o'clock tomorrow exactly. morning when the current is lower when the current is lower yeah but you've got to make decisions your decisions that are based on in your best interest and in your safety whether Absolutely. it's getting into a car for a hitchhike, whether it's fording a river, or whether it's crossing Apache Peak, you need to make your own safety decisions. You can't let others make that for you. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. I mean, one of them was on there. I mean, research and prepare carefully. PCT changes, you know, due to fire closure. Sometimes the routes change and you don't do your homework to understand maybe the, the workaround route. Maybe it does have some sketchy parts and stuff well in the context that i that i said that in that apache peak that section of the pct had been closed for the previous or i think six out of the previous seven years so when i was doing my research looking at all these youtube vloggers who had hiked the pct most of them were in the last two or three years well none of them had content with the exception of Second Chance Hiker that I could find that talked about Apache Peak. So it was just not an area that I that I chose to focus much on because nobody was reporting on it. And so I when I tell people, look at different years. Look ten if if you can find it research or information from years ago, five years ago, three years ago, eight years ago, get your information from a wide swath of, of data points to make sure that you, that you fully understand the terrain that you're going to be going through because you're right. There will be trail closures. Oh yeah, for sure. Sadly, there's a lot of forest fires, which is that's its own podcast in its own. One of the points too, was the, the person, obviously John King that does the San Jacinto trail report, which is just an incredible resource. Obviously he, hikes so much uh, and gives you reports on on the on his website that he manages as well as YouTube but it's such a valuable resource um, and also you mentioned it was mentioned in the PCTA article of share that you know share that when you talk to people you know whether it's you know you're going to meet people at Lake Marina campground you're going to meet people at Mount Laguna and sit around and maybe have a beer with or or a coke Warner Springs Julian all of those places. So it's always good to sort of talk to other people just to even make sure that they have the gear that they need and, and, and that they're ready for it. Yeah. A hundred percent. John King is a hiker hero. Yeah. In my mind, what he does for the, the PCT hiking community is second to none. He is out on those trails seven days a week. He doesn't just give you updates that are days old. He gives you updates that are hours old. He gives you photos. He gives you video mm-hmm. uh, reports because he is out on the mountain every day. 
and he rotates areas on the mountain that he is. So he's constantly in a different place on the mountain, giving PCT hikers updated information. He gives hikers updated information about water sources, about snow conditions, trail conditions. He's talked to people about rattlesnakes. I mean, just about anything (laughs) that you can think of as it relates to the PCT through San Jacinto, that that is the man to get the information from, bar none. Hopefully, I wonder if he does spiders, because me and Chantel hate big tarantula-looking <laughs> spiders. Because yeah. don't, we don't have them here in Canada. Hopefully, they're not in Texas either. Oh, yeah, we got plenty of them here. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> I mean, one of the last things, before I turn it over to you, if you have any other, other things, is that you know, being an international hiker like me and Chantel are, you know, we don't we we don't have a dedicated trail manager in the States, you know. But one of the one of the really cool things is there's a lot of Facebook groups. You know, there's Facebook groups for different PCT class years, and I think I'm in all of them. There's also little Facebook groups for trail angels, because sometimes people will post in there that, oh, I'm arriving, you know, because someone get me at the airport or I need a yep. ride or yep. you know, that kind of stuff. But being an international hiker, also, like, let's say we have our gear. Like, uh, me and Chantel have our ice axes, and we have our crampons and, and micro spikes. You know, it, it's it's okay for us to maybe reach out in these little communities, because maybe somebody will be, you know, they're not going to be our trail manager. They're not going to mail us 20 boxes of food. But if we politely ask, we need some help. Can somebody mail us? You know, we'll, we'll land in San Diego. We'll mail our ice axes to somebody and then they'll mail it to us for Paradise Cafe. Maybe we'll hold on to it till we go past Mount Baden-Powell. Then we'll mail it back to that person. We're international hikers. We're gladly. We'll pay them. We'll, we'll even throw in a couple extra bucks so they can buy themselves lunch because we're just so grateful sure. that if we could find a friend that is willing to like get our ice axe, hold on to it. We'll text them. They send it back, send it back for the Sierras. And that's a great thing. So I would love to see other people like, don't be shy, especially if you're worried and it's about a safety issue. I know that people would gladly want to help you out because you're worried and it's about a safety issue. And I think people would love that because it's not even money out of their pocket either. Like, there's multiple ways you could do that. What you described is certainly one. Another one would be fly in without micro spikes or without an ice axe. When you get to Julian, purchase them at some Two of the, the gear outfitters. Yeah, yeah, get at the at the gear outfitter there, and then you can bounce it ahead to Paradise Valley Cafe. True. And then once you get clear about Baden Powell, then you bounce it ahead again, and then you know ultimately you may not need it anymore, and then. At that point in time, maybe you leave it, leave them in a hiker box for somebody else, or, or you just ship them home, or whatever the case might be. But, but there are options and there are ways to make it work. And and what you described is certainly one way to do it. If you go on the Facebook and you say, "Can someone give me five bucks because I need to get a bigger pizza?" Well, I might not <laughs> find anyone that wants to give me five extra bucks. Is there anything like? that i don't i don't know if we've missed anything really what's your parting words like if you had to kind of just you know because you're talking to the the people that are going out on the trail this year so a few things um make sure that you have the right safety equipment but most importantly know how to use it if you have an ice axe but have never 
never learned how to use it, never researched it. It's all it is is going to be an accessory on your pack. Uh, never sacrifice safety at the expense of a few ounces. Hmm. Just, just simply, it's it's not a wise decision. Risk mitigation skills in your brain is going to be by far your most valuable resource and tool that you have. Being able to read the trail conditions, be honest with yourself, and make decisions that are in the best interest of you and your safety. There is always another day to fight. There's always an alternate. And I tell people, you know, it's there's no shame in turning back around. There's no shame and embrace internet exactly and and i mean that's that's kind of it in a nutshell um go out have the time of your life enjoy the trail take wonderful photos but just make sure that you come home safe yeah i i agree all those points were really good and it's a big like eye-opener because you never think like oh the safety like you normally don't think that anything could happen to you on the trail but like it could happen to anyone no matter how old you are your physical well-being it's just crazy and it really opened up my eyes about how important the safety is because i think with you you're not gonna really i mean you don't i mean i think about it all the time but you don't think about it as much like yeah when we get into like one year away you don't even want you're never going to answer the phone when i phone you because i'm just (laughs) going to be talking your ear off Mm-hmm. about all this stuff and um and that's when i think you'll get more serious because i want you to understand the trail and i want you to like have the maps and mm-hmm. not just like follow dad of not you know you don't you're just an autopilot like yeah. oh dad's gonna figure out where we're going and i don't need to know like mm-hmm. i kind of i kind of want you to like show me where we're going right kind of thing so it'll be fun it'll mm-hmm. be fun well, just the fact that you guys are having these conversations puts you at the head of the pack. Um, That's like we started the podcast because, you know, she's going to learn by doing this. Yes. Exactly. That's that's 100%. And the fact that you're going to take that extra day, that extra week, that extra month to, to think about safety preparation, it's it's going to, you know, move you to the head of the line, so to speak. And in, in, in your understanding of safety and what it's going to take to get you home safe. Mm-hmm. So, so kudos to you guys and just, just use Trevor's story. I, I don't want him to be a martyr. I don't know. Just use his story as a cautionary tale on what it's going to take to keep you guys safe. And if you guys can head back home to Canada after everything's said and done and, and you've had the adventure of a lifetime, you know, just look back and say, yeah, maybe Trevor, you know, had a little something to do with that. Most definitely. Absolutely. You know, one thing before we say goodbye to you, I think I saw in a picture, there was like little Microsoft bracelets. Yes. <laughs> I want one. I want to like, I think it would look good on my wrist, but I, I'd love to see if I could bring that thing to Canada. I would absolutely love to do that. So Trevor and his girlfriend, Elise, like to go to music festivals. They're a bit free-spirited, and when they would go to music festivals, they would oftentimes wear tie-dye T-shirts. And so we got tie-dye silicone wristbands that say, Trevor Microsoft Lair, embrace the alternate, or Trevor Microsoft Lair, uh, Trek for Trevor. 
So we sent these as part of our Trevor Spikes program. Everybody who, who purchased um, some Trevor Spikes also got uh, some of these wristbands that they could wear as a way to, to storytell and talk about safety while they're out on trail. Because somebody will look at it and they'll say, oh, that's an interesting wristband. What's mm-hmm. that? And then they and then then it's then it becomes a talking point. And I do want to make a donation to the uh, the Riverside Mountain Rescue Unit. So maybe I can I get would, one if I make a donation. I would be most grateful. Uh, with that, Dan, I can't tell you how much I appreciate being on today. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. And uh, one little side note is in 2025, I want to go on a van trip with my son. And we will – I've already kind of traced the route you know, like where we're going to go and stuff. But I definitely, I'm not going to spend 10 days with you though. That's like, you don't want to listen to me for 10 <laughs> days, but I, I'd love to come and I de- definitely love to come to dinner. Who doesn't want to come to dinner? I'd love that. Maybe we could have some Yorkshire puds. We could, or we'll have poutine, like a Canadian thing. <laughs> Count on it. Have you ever had poutine? I had never have. Well, there you go. I think we'll, we'll put that. So yeah. We'll come visit you. It'd be nice. To, it would be nice to like, it definitely would be nice to go for a little while. I would enjoy that very much. Perfect. Well, it was a pleasure speaking with you. I'm going to put all, so much stuff in the trail notes. It's silly, but all the people listening to this in the description, there's going to be a clickable link. It goes to a blog. Me and Chantel have a blog because that blog teaches Chantel about the trail and teaches our family and friends. Go check it out. But I really, really appreciate you talking to us. <laughs> so so you guys are going to hike in 2023 yes 2023 we were supposed to but Chantel screwed up so she told me she was in a three-year program but she's really in a four-year program it's going to give us more time to save so it also will give me more time to, to stay connected with you and help you in any way that I can in your planning so I look forward to that there will be lots more lessons learned that you guys will pick up along the way I'm I'll, I'll just be excited to follow along on your journey when it happens. All right. Well, thank you so much. Well, best of luck to both, uh, both of you. And uh, I, like I said, I, I look forward to following along on your journey here moving forward. Thank you. Thank okay. you. All right. Take care. Have a great week ahead then. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Long hair and longer stride. Skateboard affair with the primal trial And you cut off paint to pants Charging down those craggy mountains With our thrift store friends Who you find so So in love with a fallen earth Who you wake in the middle of the fallen night the summer playing coy In the attics of the city nine You talked Corso in the MC5 And you could dance live We were all alright And only the wild ones Give you something and never want it back The warm night air Only the wild ones Are the ones you can never catch Stars are up now No place
place to go.